Brother Tim's going to preach at us tonight. Uh, we had a baptism this morning. Uh, Jesse got baptized. She made a comment that when she was young, uh, she got she thought she had trusted Christ. She remembered a time out there somewhere, but wasn't really sure about it. And she was talking about from that time forward till she actually trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior that she went to sleep at night worrying sometimes about her being lost. And I, I thought about that all day, and then I thought about it. They said, there's nothing better than Jesus. Uh, I got saved in 1980, and I just can't even remember a night. <laughs> Honestly, I can't remember a night when I worried about going to bed and being lost. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I knew what I did when I did it, and I, I knew that he could do what he could do, or it can't be done. So just forget about it, move on, and, and do something else. And uh, it's just a blessing. I'm telling you, there is nothing better than Jesus. Uh, you couldn't sing enough songs for him. You couldn't uh, do enough for him out there. I've had preachers say, Mike, you're, you can't ever do enough to pay for your salvation. Yeah, you're right, man, but I think we should try. And uh, at 64 years old, you get a little tired sometimes, but I still got a, probably another 10, 15 years left. And uh, so what I need to do is take some get them up go pills and, and get out there and start doing some more. I'm telling you, there's just nothing better than Jesus. So with that said, brother, say something about Jesus. <laughs> there's your Well, hello. Good evening. Um, if you could open up to where we're going to be here tonight. First uh, Chronicles, chapter 11. A couple weeks ago, we had one of my, uh, probably my favorite service of the whole year. And it's not because there's food served afterwards, uh, but it's the, the testimonies we give on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit more here as we get into the scripture, but it's really a good time. I, I enjoy that service. Uh, I like hearing the testimonies. I like hearing the, uh, you know, it starts out kind of slow. Usually there's always a, you know, you have to poke and prod people to start and get it rolling. But once we, once we get going, you know, people open up, the testimonies start flowing. And uh, it's just a really good time. I appreciate that service. And uh, it gets me thinking. And, uh, you know, how good God is, and uh, even when when the times might not be so good or the things we're going through, and you know, as we went through those testimonies, most of the people had something to say of a period in their time or a period of life uh, that they had gone through where it, it wasn't real good, or maybe they had went through some hard times, but they're still able to give God the glory through that thing. Amen. And uh, there's a lot of us today that. You know, you're, you're, you're either going through something, you've heard the saying, you're either going through something or just coming out of something or getting ready to go through something. So, you know, that's just, that's just life. You know, it's never going to be uh, as perfect and clean cut as we like it, but that's, uh, that's just, that's, that's life. And that's what you got to deal with. And uh, I'm just grateful we have a God that, that gets us through those things. Um, you know, you, it's, it's hard to understand how lost people get through this life. And it's easy to see how they can turn to the, the alcohol and the drugs and they need those crutches because they don't have Jesus Christ. They don't have that, that hope that we have. And uh, so they got to have something in their life. And uh, unfortunately, they turn to the wrong things. But I'm just glad I'm, I'm saved tonight. I'm glad I'm here. Glad my kids are here. Uh, I'm even glad Ben's here. Why not? <laughs> Soon to be a member of the family. And I'll tell you what, it, it's, it's been a blessing um, just watching... Just, uh, just, just watching uh, him and Faith grow over the past couple of years, and 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 uh, hang in there while it was a long distance relationship, and and uh, I don't know if it was a relationship, a long distance uh, friendship. Let's call it that. Uh, and it was a lot easier, I tell you. It was a lot easier when he was 
over on the European continent. <laughs> North America's a small place all of a sudden, let me tell you. But um, it's, it's a blessing. And uh, there's a lot of things I'm thankful for. And we're going we're gonna, to, let's get to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses and we'll, we'll get into this thing. I'm going to read verses 15 and 17. This, um, you have often heard, and pastors even said it a few times here lately, you know, the grass always seems greener on the other side. And, and we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, and we're, we're going to look, and, and, and the title of this message actually is The Grass is Just as Green. And, and we're going to realize that, we're going to go through some things, and we're going to see what, realize, I hope, what David realized by the time we get through these few verses. Um, no matter the situation we're in, uh, God's still good. And the grass is just as green where we're at as it appears to be anywhere else. Um, verses 15 through 17 says, Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock, to David, into the cave of Adullam, and the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the hold, and the Philistines' garrison was then at Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. This, or that, is at the gate. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, just an opportunity to come up here and, and preach, Lord, and say something about you. I pray you just get me out of the way, Lord. I uh, pray you get the glory and honor from this. I pray you just uh, help us to refocus our thoughts and maybe give us a different uh, uh, outlook on things and, and the situations and the things we go through, Lord, and just give you the praise and glory through the whole thing, Lord. I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we see here, in, oh, that's loud. As we see here in verse 15, through 17. Um, down there in 17, it says, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. That is at the gate. You know, sometimes, no matter the situation that we're in, there's a time in our life, maybe it's in the past, and things always seem a little better. And as I was reading through this passage, and it's over there, I think, in, uh, it's over in 2 Samuel. It's almost word for word, the same, same passage, same scripture. As you go through this thing, this is one of those verses, one of those passages I had read numerous times now. And a couple weeks ago, it kind of jumped out at me, jumped off the page. And I'm looking at this, and, I'm, and it says, and David longed. Now, it didn't say necessarily what he was longing for. It just said, and he longed and said, oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well. And at first glance, you might be thinking, well, he's longing for that water. Maybe he's longing for, he was thirsty and he was longing for a, a drink at that water. And that, that may be. Um, and certainly the, the, uh, the spiritual implication of this passage does not go unknown. You know, uh, Jesus Christ is that well of living water and, and he was to be born in Bethlehem. But what I want to focus on tonight is the more practical application of this. As we look at this thing and, and, and David was longing. And as I'm, I'm, I'm recreating this picture, this, this scene in my mind. And I see David, and I, I see him, and, and here he is. Once again, he finds himself in array against the Philistines in combat. You know, much of David's, uh, most of his, his time, his reign, was spent in combat. He, 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 uh, he had to fight off the, all the surrounding nations. Uh, he, time and time again, he had to go into combat. Time and time again, he had to lead his troops, and he had to send young men to their deaths. And, and this happened through most of his reign. But it happened for a reason, because when Solomon would begin to reign, 
then the land would be at peace. And, and, and God could take them in a, in a different direction. They could focus on him because now the enemies had been vanquished and they had that, that time of peace that God had promised them. And he had, he had delivered them uh, through the hand of David. And, and David, here he is. He finds himself down there at the cave of Adullam. The Philistines were garrisoned in his hometown of Bethlehem. Um, and you know, it, it, in times like these, even when you're in the will of God, and even when you're doing what God would have you to do, I mean, David was, was doing what God would have him to do. That's what he was called to do, to, to uh, vanquish the enemy around him, to, to uh, take God's people and give them victory and take the land. And, and not if you read earlier in this chapter, he had conquered Jerusalem. They even call it the city of David. So, I mean, David really, things were going good for him. He was doing exactly what God would have him to do. But even in that, even serving God, even doing what you know is right to do, sometimes things can begin to weigh on you. And as I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm trying to recreate this, this scene in my mind, I'm thinking, well, David, you know, for him, maybe the weight of leading the nation of God's people was beginning to weigh on him. They say the president of the United States is the most powerful man in the world. That may or may not be. But could you imagine being appointed by the God of the universe and anointed to be the king of his people? Could you imagine the, the, the pressure that you would feel at times? Because you know that they're looking towards you. And every time you trip and every time you fall, they're going to notice it. And they may stay in step with you and, and make the same mistakes that you did. As we've seen many kings, they, they turned to idolatry and, and the people followed them. And so David knew this, and he knew that for every time he did something wrong, the people would notice. And then he said, well, it, it, the pressure is upon me to do right and to serve God. And it's not that it was, a, it was a bad pressure, not that he didn't want to do it, but the pressure was there, and he wanted to, to be holy and upright before God and, and to lead his people down the right path. And the reality of war and the battle weighed upon him. I mean, here he was. Faced again, like I said, against the Philistines. And he knew that there would be decisions made. There would be commands given that sons would not return home to their parents. That, that, that husbands would not return home to their children and their wives. He knew that there would be, there would be children that would, that, that would uh, be fatherless by the time this battle was over. And, and wives that would be widows when this whole thing was said and done. So the way to that would probably start to weigh on him just a little bit. And also he knew that the more that he grew closer to God, the more accountable he would be. And that's certainly something we can all uh, uh, relate to. If you stop and think about it, you know, we, we want to get closer to God. And we say that. And we, and we say, well, we want, to, we want to get close to God. We want to, we want to have, be more in fellowship him, with him. But with that comes some responsibility because the more God reveals to you and the more he gives you, the more accountable we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And the more we're going to have to give account for, the more we're going to have to try and stay in step with what he would have us to do. So, you know, Jesus said we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Paul, he said he dies daily. So drawing closer to God there's that, there's that pressure, there's that responsibility that we have to, to cast off this world, that we have to die to ourselves, that we have to constantly put down that old man, that we have to put that flesh down. And over time, 
even though it's the right thing to do, and it's perfectly within God's will, it can still, after a while, start to weigh on you. Because there's a constant struggle within. There's a constant battle. And the old man wants to, to, to do the things he used to do. And the old man wants to go to the places he used to go to. And the old man wants to hang with the people he used to hang with. I know there for a while, praise God, it hasn't happened in a while. Maybe I'm, I'm finally over it. But there for a while, there was a period in my life that when things would get tough and I would, I would just get frustrated, for whatever reason, I would want to turn to music that I hadn't listened to in probably 20, 25 years. You know, I'd want to, and I don't even own that music. So that would mean for me to listen to it, I would have to go to the store and buy a CD or, or maybe stream it or something along those lines. But for whatever reason, that pool was still there even after all those years. And I would be taken back to a time when I was in my youth and, and I'd be driving and I'd have the radio cranked up and, and, and you know, the, the, the music would be blaring. And for whatever reason, that was a, a point in my life where I, you know, I, was, I was attracted to that when I was going through a rough time. And that was something that I had to fight, something I had to, because I knew that's not what God would have me do. I knew that that was not the proper way to handle my frustrations or my anger or, or whatever the case may be. I knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. So as David, the fear of falling before God can weigh upon us, just as it weighed upon him, perhaps. The fear, now for me personally, probably the one thing in my, my Christian walk, the one thing that scares me most, because I know I can't lose my salvation, so I'm not worried about that, but the fear of getting away from God, that, 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 fears, that, that terrifies me. Um, John 6.66, it talks about some of his disciples. It says, and they turned and they walked with him no more. I mean, these were men that had, had been with Jesus for at least some period amount of, of time. They had, they, had, they had heard him. They had listened to him preach and teach. They had seen maybe him do some miracles. They had spent some time with him. And they were familiar with him. And they kind of seen him off the cuff. And they seen him handle situations. And they seen how he addressed people and how he talked to people. And they seen the, the, the caring and the loving in his voice. And, and, and they heard him talk of the Father. And they had been subject to all these things, but yet something in their life pulled them away from him. Something caused them, it says, and they, they turned and they walked with him no more. Brother um, Travis turned me on to a, a set of teachings. It's like five, five uh, series of five lessons by uh, Brother Sonny Pierce. He was down there at the um, Jubilee, and he, Dr. Peacock had him uh, preach. And he's out of Brother Knowles' church, and he does a uh, teaching of the Trinity. And about the last, the last uh, tape there, the last uh, session, he talks about a man that had gone to their church, about a man that, that uh, I can't remember if he uh, studied under Dr. Ruckman directly, um, but I believe he said he had a, a, a bachelor's degree at TBDI, so certainly he had studied under Dr. Peacock and, and, and uh, Dr. Lentz and, and probably even Dr. Estep and some of these other men. Um, so maybe not directly under Dr. Ruckman, but certainly indirectly, he was exposed to some of his teachings. And at some point, this man started getting off, off the path, and he started heading away from Jesus Christ. And they all sat down and they had a meeting. And several times he said throughout this meeting, they told him, they said, look, you're being deceived. Satan is deceiving you. He, he's, he's somehow 
manipulating you and, and you're, you're being tricked, you're being deceived to get away from the gospel. And they wouldn't listen to him. Now this man, he has gone on to write a book or two and, and his, he has a, a teaching on a theology that the Trinity is false. Now I don't understand, and I don't want to get too judgmental because I don't want it to be revealed to me, but how you can, you can study under those men and listen to that preaching and be around those men and, and have the word of God right in front of you. And then get so far from it. And we've seen it here. We've, seen, we've, we've had people that have been in this church for years. And they seem to be grounded. And they, and, and they seem to be grounded in the Word. And they had the right book. And they had everything they needed. And all of a sudden, they just drift off the side. So we know it's possible. But for the grace of God, He keeps me coming here. And you know, I'm, I'm, real, I'm real appreciative of the fact that I'm really not all that smart. Because I know a whole lot of smart people that are away from this book and that they'll analyze this book and they'll, they'll call parts of it allegorical. And, and basically, what the, I had a guy tell me that the book of uh, Revelation was allegorical. I said, okay, finally, I understand what your problem is. You don't believe the word. You just don't believe. You can't believe parts of it. You can't believe in a virgin birth yet believe that, that Revelation is, is allegorical and just a... And, and, he, he talked about the Song of Solomon. That's just a poem. I said, well, it's prophetic. But see, he couldn't see that. He couldn't understand that. He's an intelligent individual in the world. But when it comes to the Bible, he's a mental midget. And trust me, I'm not, a, I'm not a scholar. But by the grace of God, he's given me at least enough to know that, if nothing else, I know that this book is true. And I know that this book is not just left up to our interpretation. It's, interpreta it's, it's, it's through the interpretation of God, and He's given it to us, and, and it comes from Him. So if I know nothing else, I know that this is His Word and His book. And I think, as, as I looked at this passage, and I'm reading through here, I'm thinking, there may have been a period where, where David, when he's looking at that, and, and it says, and he longed, and he said, Man, I would just like to have a drink of that water. Maybe he just longed for a time of innocence. Maybe all these other things were starting to weigh on him and, and life in general. And maybe he just longed for a time of innocence, of his youth. See, sure, Bethlehem was under a Philistine garrison. I'm sure he wanted his hometown to be liberated. There's no doubt about that. But I also believe that in David's mind, this well represented a time of youth and innocence and maybe even a time of less responsibility. You know, all he had to do was worry about a bunch of sheep. You know, for a while he just took care of his father's sheep. And at the time, that may have seemed like a great responsibility. But as he got older, and as he drew closer to the Lord, his responsibilities increased. And now he's thinking, man, all I wish I had to do was take care of those sheep. When I was in school, my dad would say, these are the best, most carefree days of your life. And of course, at 15 or 14, I thought the old man was dumb. I, how can he know what he's talking about? He's past his prime. He don't know nothing. I'm just coming into you know, manhood. I'm, I'm 14 years old. I got it all laid out. I know. Well, I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I did. You know, at the time, I'm thinking, man, life is rough right now. I'm 14 years old. I don't have no money. I don't have a job. You know, I got to go and I got to take tests. Why do I have to know about King Philip and King Louis? And I'll never use that stuff. It's important. You'll use it. Okay, you won't use it, but it's still important. Just to finish the course. 
But the thing is, I look back now and I'm thinking, man, that was, that was a pretty easy time in life. I had, like I said, I had no responsibility. All I had to do was get up and go to school. How hard was that? It seemed hard at the time. But it was a time in my life where it was a lot, a lot more innocence, a lot more youthful. At times, I find myself longing for that period. Maybe not necessarily specific events, but just in generally speaking, man, life would seem simpler back then. If for no other reason, I just wasn't as aware of the things going on in the world as I am now. Everything that exists now existed back then. All the things that, that, that we detest now and all the things that we, we preach against now, they all existed back when I was growing up. I just wasn't aware of it. I was naive to a lot of that. I was sheltered. My parents didn't subject me to a lot of that because there was no reason a, a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old should have to be uh, subjected to homosexuality because now when you subject them to that, they think that's normal. See, back in my time, back in my time, it's not like I'm 70 years old, but when I was growing up, you know, you call somebody gay, call them a fag, you, get, you know, you get no fight. Those were fighting words. Now people wear it as a badge of honor. Why? Because they've been subjected to it at a much younger age, much younger than they should have been because now they don't know how to process it. They don't know fully what it means. They don't understand it. So now they think it's, it's, it's cool, it's hip to be considered gay. I was, I was sheltered from that. It was a, a more innocent time for me. Um, you know, I think of David. And when he was growing up in Bethlehem, I'm thinking, man, how many times as a young boy out there, it was a hot summer day, and, and, and maybe him and his friends were playing, his father Jesse came into town for whatever reason, and, and maybe he was chasing his brothers around, and they would stop at that well, and they would just get a, a cool drink of water on a hot summer day with the sun high overhead, and, and they knew they had to get back out in the fields, and they knew they had things to take care of, but for a moment they just paused, and life stood still as they drank from that cool water, that well. And I'm thinking, well, it says here that the well was by the gate. So maybe people would stop and pause there, and they would get their, their, take a break for a few minutes and get a drink, and, and then people would be coming in and out of the city. And it was a place where, where, where friendships were formed and relationships, and people grew to know each other, and people uh, uh, trusted each other. And it was a, it was a place where, uh, where people would, would uh, meet with each other and, and have conversations. And maybe, maybe David would overhear his father talking to somebody about the Lord and, and how he had prospered him and, and the things he had done for him. And maybe uh, others would be talking about the things that God had done for them in their lives. And, and, and maybe others, maybe David overheard conversations of, well, do you really think we should have a, a, a worldly king like the other nations? Uh, a lot of the people wanted it, be, but I don't know that that was such a good idea. So you wonder about the conversations that David overheard at that well, and that maybe he even get engaged in himself. It was a place where the women would go, and they would draw the water out of the well, and they would complain about their husbands. And it was a place where the men would go in the middle of the day when they were hot and thirsty, and they would complain about their wives. And it was just a place, a gathering place. And David saw this over the years as he was growing up. So maybe he had some fond memories of that well. 
Maybe as he was longing, maybe he just wanted some of that youthful innocence. And he wanted that, that time of less responsibility back. When I sit there and I think about, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's hard for me. If I were to just sit there and give you an illustration, I, I've got a million in my mind because, I, as I've said in the past, I had a really good childhood. Um, my parents, uh, they loved me. They took care of me. I never had to come home to an empty house. I never had to worry about if I was going to get dinner that night. Um, I had a great childhood. Um, I, 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 could, I could think, you know, I learned, I mean, my dad would let me use all his tools. Uh, that's where I learned to I'd take my bike apart and I would put it back together. And you'd say, why would you do that? Because I had nothing else to do and I was bored and there was tools and, and I wanted to use, learn how to use them. And in my mind, I was making my bike go faster. I figured if I can get this thing apart and put it back together and I have no pieces left over, I'm done good. And I think most of the time I didn't have many pieces left over. My bike never came apart on me, so I guess I did okay. But I, I remember summers, of there was an alley behind my house, and, it, and nobody ever went up and down that alley. I mean, my, my dad, he was the only one that used our garage. There might be maybe one or two cars a day, if that. And one of those, like I said, was my dad, when he would go to work and he would come home. Nobody, so I would, I would, me and my buddy would just ride up and down this alley all day long. And there was a show on TV called Chips at the time. Some of you guys remember that, about the, the, the California bicycle or motorcycle cops. And, and, and me and my buddy would always fight because nobody ever wanted to be John. John was boring. Everyone wanted to be Ponch because Ponch was the cool one. So we'd trade off. You know, I'd be Ponch one day and the next day he'd get to... But that's what my childhood was. It was just we were riding our bikes. We were pretending to be something we'd seen on TV and we, would, we weren't allowed to ride in the streets. So we'd ride on the sidewalks, pretend to chase cars down. And, and so... Sometimes in life when, 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 when things are getting a little difficult or, or maybe I'm just feeling the weight of all the various responsibilities, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll just stop and I'll, I'll, I'll just transport back to that time in life when life was simpler and I had no real responsibilities. All I had to do was be home by dark. That's all my parents required of me at that time. Didn't even have to check in through. That was a, a time, a day and age where you didn't have to check in. It, it was just a different, different setting back then. If we stop and we think, each and every one of us, at some point in our life, we have a well that symbolizes a different time, a different uh, a period in our lives, a time of innocency. We all have that, that well in our lives. Even if you're young, you still have a, a point in your life where you can remember back that, that time of innocency, that, that time that you can go to uh, that's comforting. It's important, I think, to have that. It's not that you don't want to, and then there's some dangers, and we'll discuss that. It's not that you don't want to live in a fantasy world, but it's good to think back about how God has, has done some things for you and, and how he's provided for you. And as we go through here, and as I'm looking, as I was reading through this, I realized that, you know, there are some situations... A lot of times we paint pictures in our minds. A lot of times we create things. Um, I think there's, a, there's an inherent danger of watching too much Hallmark Channel because you, know, uh, you can create this, this world in your mind where you think everything is going to be perfect and there's always a happy ending. And, you know, the guy always gets the girl and the dog always gets the fireplace and, and everybody's always happy. That's not exactly the way things work in real life. And, and a lot of times, 
we paint these pictures where other situations or other circumstances, we try to make them out to be better than they, they really are, and that's rarely the case. It's easy. See, for me, I've got four kids in our Sunday school class. We got, we got Isaac, we got Ellie, we got Bella, and we got Lucas. So it's easy for me to sit back and I can look at them and I can say, man, I can tell the parents, I can say, man, your kids are perfect angels. They come in here, and maybe every now and then I had to get after them, but for the most part, they're really well behaved, they listen, they're, they're, they're polite, they, they, they sit there and, and, and they answer questions and we have a good time. And you're all thinking, man, I don't know what kids you're talking about, but I sure would like to have them over the ones I got. Because, see, it's easy for me to sit there and to say that because I wasn't there at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning was mom was trying to get them up and get them fed and get them dressed and make sure they got matching shoes on or at least just shoes on. And, and when, he gets them off to, when they get them off to school and, and they have to wrestle with them to get them in bed, the other night we were leaving out of here and little Alex was crying and he was so upset because he had to go home and it was time to go to sleep. Me and Robin were laughing and it's like, man, I'd love to go home and go to sleep. I'd love to go to bed early each night. And we were laughing, and he was crying, and he stopped, and he said, it's not funny. And he yelled at us. Not even, I mean, he, you know, just a little kid being upset. Here he's wanting to stay up, and I'm old man. I'm wanting to go to bed. And I'm thinking, man, I'll switch with you, kid. And I'll, you stay up as late as you want. I want to go to bed. But it doesn't always work out that way. Um, but see, we'll, make, we'll, we'll paint this picture. We'll make these circumstances uh, better in our, in our minds and in the hopes to give ourselves maybe some freedom or some sort of hope that we may not otherwise have. And, and then we get into this, this mindset and we say, well, if only this were better, whatever this may be. Or if, if, if only I worked here instead of where I do work. And if only I made more money. And if only I had nicer clothes. And if only I had a better car. And if only, and if only, and if only. And the inherent danger in that thing is the if onlys will distract you from Jesus Christ. They'll get you away from him. Because you'll get caught up in chasing what you think will make you happier. And you forget to include Jesus in those plans. Like that guy... I've used him before. Uh, I've talked about him before. Uh, he was somebody I've been working with most of this year. Well, he recently, he, he, he got what he wanted. He got a new job. He's, he's moving to Dallas. And, hey, that might be the perfect will of God in his life. I don't know. But this is what I do know. The guy's not in church anywhere. He's not in the right book. And he's not submitting to God. So he may be in the will of God, but he has no way of knowing it because he's never stopped to find out where God wants him. Instead, he's planned out his life and he's done what he's wanted to do and he's chased his dreams and he's relied on his intelligence and he's not included God in that thing at all. Because if only I worked at this airline, I could have these benefits. And if only I was down there, that would allow my wife to partake in this. And if only, and if only, and if only. And here he is moving away, and that may be exactly where God wants him to be. I, I cannot say that I know that one way or the other. All I know for sure, and because he's told me, he's never gotten into the right book, 
He's never gotten into the right church, and he's never stopped long enough to ask God what his will and his life is for him. Along with making other situations seem better, conversely, we can make our own situation seem worse. And we can sometimes paint a worse picture than what's really in front of us. So we get so focused on, on what we want or what we don't have or what we think we, we, we should be or where we should be, we fail to see the good of where we're really at. And I talked about the testimonies we gave, and, and it was, it's a blessing because those services, what you see there is people realizing that even through the bad times, and I said it earlier, even through the bad times, that God is still good and that, that God still provides even when the, the, the seas are rough and even when the times are difficult, God will still take care of them. And it's important to stop and realize that, that wherever you find yourself, as long as you're in the will of God and as long as you're doing what God would have you to do, then you're in the right place. Even if it may not be where you want to be or may not be what you're wanting to go through, if you're where God wants you, then you're in the right place. Sometimes we'll over-exaggerate the negative, and we just totally disregard the positive. Um, there's a saying that says, you can't see the forest for the trees. What it's saying is you get so wrapped up in, in, in the singular situation that you can't see the big picture. You, know, you, get, you get so focused on a one piece of a thousand piece puzzle that you can't see the rest of the puzzle laid out in front of you. You're just focused on that one little piece. At some point, there has to come a time when you, when you get in this situation, when you find yourself longing and, and when, you're, when you're trying to find that escape and when you, when you just, just are tired of being where you're at and, and you, you, you find yourself creating this hallmark world that you want to live in, you have to stop, and you got to take a step back from yeah. things. Sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes it's just good to, to just hold on. Before I take another step forward, I want to stop, hold all forward progress for the moment, not, not entirely, not, not, not for good, just, just for a moment. Let me pause here. Let, let me maybe even take a step backwards so I can get a little bit further from the situation. Sometimes when you get backwards, you can see things more clearly because you're not so close. And you back up, and you take a breath, and then you realize what you really do have. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. And the three break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, My God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it, these things, that these three mightiest. David realized what he had before him was just as good, if not better, than the past that he created in his mind. See, a lot of times we'll, we'll romanticize past circumstances or situations to make them better. And you, you read over there in Numbers about Dathan and Abiram and, and, and their attempt to overthrow Moses. And, and they, they actually at one point called Egypt the land of milk and honey. Now that's the, that's the descriptive term that God used 
for the land that he had provided for them. They hadn't got there yet, but he was going to get them there. That was promised. He said, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. So they took the term that he had used for his promised land and applied it to Egypt. He, they applied it to what the Bible says is a type of this world. So in essence, what they said was, rather than going to heaven and, and spending eternity where God has prepared a place for me, where Jesus, Jesus says over there in John, I go and I uh, go to prepare a place for you. In my, house, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And what they're saying is, I would rather stay here in the world, amongst the worldly and amongst everything down here, rather than go to where you have prepared a place for me. And when you put it in that context, you realize how ridiculous it is. But they didn't buy them. They, they wanted to turn people's focus and attention off of God. And they wanted to overthrow Moses, and they wanted to be the center of the attention. See, they made the past seem better in order to sway people to their, their way of thinking. But in reality, God had brought them out of Egypt. He had brought them out of bondage. He had brought them out, brought them out of slavery. He had had them there for a season to build them up. But the time had come where he said, okay, it's time for you to get out of here. There's no longer a reason for you to be here. Now I have purpose for you elsewhere. They were given Moses and Aaron as leaders that were handpicked by God himself. But yet, Dathan and Abiram said, no, these men don't know what they're doing. Why are you following them? The Israelites themselves, they murmured and despaired as they faced trials and hardships. And as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own disbelief and their own lack of faith, they brought that on themselves. But yet they murmured against God. They murmured against Moses. See, they forgot about God's deliverances. And they over-exaggerated their present situation. What they failed to realize is a lot of the hardships they went through could have been totally avoided if they would have just had the faith in God to begin with. They wouldn't have had to spend the 40 years wandering. They could have been right where God wanted them from the get-go. They had forgotten about how they had crossed, how they came up to the banks of the Red Sea and it was flowing. And then all of a sudden, Moses stretched out that rod and God parted those seas. And what had been a, a muddy riverbed, muddy, muddy uh, seabed just a, a moment before was now dry. And as they walked across it, it was so dry it would kick up dust on their sandals and on their, their robes. Because now God had dried that thing instantaneously. And the seaweed that was on the bottom crumpled beneath their feet. See, they forgot all that. They forgot about that deliverance that God brought them out of Egypt and what he had done to get them to that point. They forgot that they were no longer enslaved. They were no longer under the bondage of the Pharaoh. They forgot that they were now a nation of themselves, of their own people. They forgot that they didn't need a ruler, a manly appointed ruler over them, that they were led by God, by the creator of the universe. They forgot all of that. They forgot that... that they were fed daily from the kitchen of heaven. I mean, God took care of their, their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They were given the food that they needed. All their needs were met, and yet they still murmured because the first little sign of trouble, the first little hiccup, the first little speed bump in the road, all of a sudden, 
well, it was better back in Egypt. We had it better back there. Well, no, they really didn't, but they created this image in their mind where, it was, where, where, where things were better before. But if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, and if you stop, and, and if you get over yourself, and, and if you put all that aside, you'll realize that the present is just as good. And God had given David everything he had needed, and so much more. You look at this, just look at this passage. I mean, he was surrounded by men he could trust. He was, David himself was anointed by Samuel under the direction of God. So he was anointed by God to be the king of his chosen people. He had been given numerous victories. He, he gave, God gave him men that loved him and respected him and trusted him to the point that they were willing to endanger and risk their own lives to get something that the king wanted. He never commanded that a cup of water be given to him from that well. It was just a thought. It was, he, he, was, he was thinking out loud. He was longing. He said, oh, I wish I could have a, a drink of that water from that well. It was just an a, a, a outspoken thought he had. It wasn't a command. But yet these three captains thought not themselves too great for the task of being a water boy for the king. Now let me ask you something. When the king speaks, do you listen? Is there anything that the king says that you, you say, well, I'm above that? See, these, these captains, they didn't say, oh, man, whew, the king asks a hard thing. Man, that's going to be a bloodbath. I think we should pick some privates and maybe get a corporal to lead them. I don't even think we ought to risk a sergeant going into that battle. It's going to be a mess. No, they said, you know what? The king desires some water from that well. By golly, we'll do this. If that's what he wants, that's what we're willing to do. Are you willing to do the same thing for Jesus Christ? You, I mean, you can tell what he wants. You know what he wants for you in your life. Are you willing to do those things? Or do you think yourself too, too high-minded? You, you're too good for those tasks. You think, you think well, maybe I'm, I'm too good to do that. Or maybe you should send somebody else. See, these men didn't think they were too good to go and do what David wanted. He didn't even ask them. He just, he just thought it out loud. And they took it upon themselves. David, he realized this. And I, I just can't help but think, when, when, when those three men came back, and they presented him that water. He said, well, what is this? He, he grabbed that, that, that water skin, and it was kind of cool to the touch. And they said, well, well King, you, you asked for some water from that well down there, down there by the gate down there in Bethlehem. I just can't help but think that at that point, he, he just broke down inside. And he put that water off to the side, and he just pulled those big old guys in, and he just gave them a big old bear hug. And maybe he, his, his chest heaved a couple times as he was thinking, God, you're so good to me. Here, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm starting maybe I'm longing for a, a different time. I'm longing for a different situation. Man, you've given me these three big old boys that are willing to lay their lives on the line so I can have a drink of water. He's thinking, God, you are so good. I'll tell you right now, there are, there are things in your life right now that God has provided for you. And God is so good. And he has given you that water from that well. Even though you maybe didn't directly ask for it, he knew your needs. He knew your desires. He knows the intents of your heart. He knows your wishes. And God has provided. Have you stopped to just acknowledge what he's done? Have you stopped to realize what he has done for you? Or do you just continue 
to wish yourself somewhere else, being doing something else. Maybe you wish you were, you were in a different part of the country, serving in a different church, married to somebody else. I don't mean that you down. Or are you happy with what God's given you? Are you happy with the fact that he, he, he knew of a need or a desire that you had and he fulfilled that? And then lastly, we'll see here in those same verses, 18 and 19, David appreciated this gift so much and he appreciated what God had done for him. He appreciated what these men had done for him that he gave it right back to God. If you can get beyond yourself for just a minute and you realize what God has done for you and what he is doing in your life, so you can be like David, you can immediately recognize the danger that those men put themselves in. See, David said, man, you guys did what? Y'all are nuts. I could go down there and get water. Why did you go there? Well, King, that's what you asked for. Man, you did that for me? God provided those men to David. And he immediately appreciated that gift that God had given him. The, not only the gift of the water, but the gift of the men. He recognized the value of that water because he recognized that even one of those men had died or been injured in battle. You know, the, the cost of that water had, would have has gone up uh, uh, exponentially just for a drink of water. He recognized the value of what those men had done. See, it wasn't the, vo- the water that had the value. It was the sacrifice these men were willing to make. That's what was important. And that's when, when David poured that out. And he says, the Bible says, he poured it out unto God. And he, he says, my God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that had put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives, they, they brought it. He's saying, I, I, can't, I can't accept this. This is too precious of a gift for me to consume it upon myself. He said, I, I need to give this back to God. Because this is, this is way too much for me. He said, do you understand the importance of what you have given me? And they're thinking, King, we just got you some water. He said, no, it's, it's much more than that. So what, what things in, in life has God given you? Have you stopped to think about how, how important they really are? Have you stopped to consider just the simple cups of water in your life that God has, has heaped upon you? And you take them, and you consume them, and you, without a, another thought, and you just go on down the road. And God said, you don't realize who did what in order for you to have that. And you just consumed it upon your own lust, and you moved on without a second thought. And while he may not hold that against you, he'll say, you know, you would have gotten a real blessing out of that if you had just paused for a moment and realized the cost of that right there. Their loyalty, their strength, their willingness to serve, their unselfishness, all that was a result of what God had done in their lives. See, God had been working in the lives of these three men, and he got them to that point where when David just just had that thought, that they would be willing to serve him. And I think about that water, and it was just a reminder of of God's provisions to David in his life, the things that God had done for him. And it was, so, it was way too special, like I said, for, for David to consume that. And he didn't want it. He said, I don't want to waste this on me. God, I'm going to give you this back. I'm going to, I'm going to pour this out onto you because what these men did here today, man, that, that, that was something, Lord. And, and for them to, to do that, for them to get to that point where they're willing to make that sacrifice, that came of you, Lord. 
That wasn't something that, that man taught them. That wasn't something that they, they seen from me. That was something that came from you. And he poured that water out onto them. And he showed those men that their effort and their sacrifice was worthy to be offered unto the Lord. He told him, he said, I appreciate this so much that I'm not going to keep it, but yet I'm going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to give it back to him. And the, this young man that I've been dealing with most of this year, and, and, and it, it irritates me because too often I see saved people waste God's gifts on themselves. And, and instead of giving thanks and giving back to God, they consume it upon themselves. They take the money from a good job and, and they surround themselves with, with all the luxuries and all the things that this world has to offer, yet they won't give any of it back to God. Now, they don't have to as far as their salvation. They're, they're, they're not going to lose it. So they're not under any obligation other than, why don't you give back to God something that he's given to you? I mean, he, you know, he asked 10%. You know, if you have the money for all this stuff around you, why can't you give something back to God? You're supposed to do it willingly. The time that he's given them. I, I'm sorry, if you're single or if you're married and if you've got no kids and you just work a 40-hour-a-week job, don't tell me how busy you are because I'm probably going to laugh at you. I'm not trying to be rude. It's just you're not nearly as busy as you really think you are. Me and Robin will laugh about that. It's like before we had kids, you know, we fell into that trap. You know, we're always busy. What were we busy doing? I look back and, yeah, we were always on the run, but what were we doing? We weren't really doing much of any substance. Now, you know, as, as we get older and we, you know, our kids are getting older and, and all these things are happening, our time, we spend more time in service to the Lord. Yes, we're still busy, and, and I, I don't understand it. All I can say is, you know, it's God because last year COVID shut the world down and somehow this church still stayed busy. I don't understand that thing. We didn't have camp, but we were still busy. This year the world opened up and we were busier than we'd ever been. You know, and we're getting a little bit of break here, but, you know, we're, we're getting to roll back into the busy season here. Come, come New Year's, we're going to have a wedding, and, and then, you know, it's just, and then we're going to start, you'll, you'll see it in the bulletin. <laughs> Six months in advance, the date's for camp. I'll, I'll say, why are you putting those, in? well, I want people to be able to plan. It's six months away. But that's what she does. See, we're, we're by doing that, we're keeping you in the mindset. You know, take time off. Give back to God. Do something for God. Do, give back Him something that He has given to you. You don't have to give it all back. He doesn't request it all. He doesn't require it all. He'll take it. But what He's saying is, look, I've, I've blessed you. Give a little back in return. Show me that you appreciate what I've done for you. That's what David did. It bothers me when, when people waste their talents on this world. You know, I think of these girls and, and, and the guys, Adam, I mean, you don't see them in a nightclub on Saturday nights with a tip jar on a piano, you know. You don't see them doing that, but they're here on Sundays, every Sunday. They're, they're upstairs in patch on Wednesdays, and, and, and those that aren't upstairs are down here. They're using their talents for God. They're not wasting on this world. See, that's why I tried to get through to this young man. But see, he's almost literally half my age. He hasn't gotten to that point where he realizes that you know, in his mind, he's still young, and he still has to conquer the world, and he still has too many things that he wants to accomplish. 
And I told him, I said, man, I said, you're going to, you need to get to that point where you realize that life is way more than just this. Okay. You need to get to the point where you got to realize that there's, there's going to be an afterlife. And whether or not the rapture happens in your lifetime or not doesn't mean you shouldn't be preparing for it now. See, a lot of people think that, oh, the, he, he's of the mindset that the rapture won't happen. It's all, for young people, it's always easier to put the rapture off into somebody else's lifetime because that way it doesn't impede in their lifetime and it doesn't interfere with their plans. See, that's the problem. He's not looking for the return of the Lord. He's looking for a return on his investment, whether it's financial or time or time spent in school. He wants a return to him personally, not the return of the Lord. We talked about those testimonies Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And that was a time where people were given back to the Lord. And there was two people that had, te- I mean, there was a lot of testimony, don't get me wrong. And they were all good. And they were good because they praised the Lord. And they gave him thanks and glory and honor. But, of course, you know, one of them hit home for me. But there was another lady in here that, that had spoke of a time in her life when she had gone in, through a car wreck. So you had two ladies in this church that had spoken of car wrecks. And by the time they, were gotten, they got to the end of their testimonies, one was able to give thanks and say it was a real blessing because now she has that debt erased and, and she can enter into marriage. And the other one said, that car wreck led me to my husband who led me to church, who led me to the Lord. I mean, come on. People, only God can do that. The rest of the world would call you a nut. When you could sit there and you can praise God for bad things like that, that's God. That, that, you know, and that was the situation where those two young ladies and everybody else in this church was given back to the Lord that night because they realized the blessings he had given them. And he real, they realized even through the hard times and even through the bad times and difficult times and even th- when the times they felt like giving up and throwing up their hands and just walking away from it, God was still good and God was still on the throne and God was still in control. And you know what? God allows the things in this world to happen. And he's in control of them. Just like he was when you're reading through Job. He allows it for a reason. But he's never beyond it. He's never out of reach. He's never to the point where you can't get a hold of him and reach out to him. He's always right where he's always been. It's us that get away from him. So whatever situation you find yourself in, you know, you're, you're, whether you're looking at somebody else's life and, and rather and, and pointing to the past... And, and, and rather than and looking at someone else and saying, man, they sure do have it good. Because here's the thing. When you're looking at somebody else's life and you're saying, boy, they sure do have it easy. And what you don't realize is they're probably looking at you and saying, boy, he sure does have it easy. It's, somebody else's life always looks a lot better from the outside looking in. What you don't realize is what you got to stop and say, you know what? I'm not worried about that situation. I'm not worried about that person in the life that they have. I'm happy right where I'm at. I'm happy what God has done for me. And my grass is perfectly fine. So I can look over at Brother Steve's yard and say, man, his grass looks a lot greener than mine. I don't know how they drive through it all the time, but it still looks better than my yard. I can look at that and I can say, wow, you're great. But see, I don't, 
realize, you know, he goes out there and he cuts it and he, you know, he, he takes care of it. I mean, he, he goes out and he spends time. He cuts it. You know, did you ever notice that? Did you ever drive through a neighborhood with freshly cut grass? It always smells better. But with, when I cut the grass, it never smells like that. I smell gas. I smell hot exhaust from the, the mower. I smell sweat. I don't smell freshly cut grass when I'm doing it. But when Robin or Andrew cuts it and I come home, I'm thinking, man, that smells good because I didn't have to do it. See, it always smells better when somebody else has to go through that. I think of, and I'm going to close here, you get over in the Revelation, and it talks about, Revelation 4, and it talks about the, the 24 elders. And I think Sam Gipp had mentioned it one time about just casting their crowns back to God. He's sitting on the throne, just casting the crowns back to him. And that's a real good picture of what we should be doing while here on earth. I think now is a good time. I think a lot of the things we go through, he gives us as an opportunity to practice for the things we're going to get to do in eternity. And if we start giving back to him now and start recognizing the things that he's given us now and start giving back to him now, it'll just make things a whole lot easier when we go to heaven because it'll be natural. We'll just say, okay, here, I did this on earth. Let me just cast his crowns back to you, Lord. They're yours anyway. You gave them to me. I'll just give them back to you. I think as David, in closing, as David went through that situation, I was reading through that passage, and he was longing. You know, what are the things that you long for in life? And if you stop and you think about it, are they really worth longing for? Because is the situation that you're in now, is it really all that bad? Is it a situation that God can't get you through? Is it something that is beyond his control? Or maybe he's got you there for a reason and a purpose. And maybe he's surrounded you with some people or some situations that will give you that cool drink of water at the right time when you need it most. But the thing is, you just got to stop and say, you know what? This thing is way more valuable than I first realized, and just give it back to God. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I just pray there's a help here to somebody tonight, Lord. I just pray you'd just help us to remember just the, uh, the things that happen in our lives, Lord. You have allowed them. You're aware of them. You're in control. There's nothing, Lord, that is, is beyond you. I just pray you'd help us to focus on that, Lord, and, and rather than getting down and, and getting out, just, uh, just, just turn it over to you, Lord. Trust you. And uh, just be grateful for what you do in our lives. I love you, Lord, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we take a Bible just out of my opportunity to say something about that? Uh, he mentioned those three men. Those were David's three mighty. He had, he had 37. And uh, everybody always wants to be at the top of the chain, food chain, but they don't really want to do what it takes to get there. Uh, that first guy's name was Adino. He took out 800 men by himself one time. Uh, now, I don't know about you and the amount of training it takes to do that. Uh, I could just imagine a Navy SEAL or, or an Air Force, uh, Special Forces or whoever. I mean, you're out there by yourself with a sword in your hand, and you take out 800 men. That's like a Samson thing. Uh, there's nothing to play with that. The second guy was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, and probably that name is why he took out 300. Uh, if everybody called you, oh, you're the son of Dodo, <laughs> you Dodo. Uh, the, the 300 men. I mean, he wasn't quite, uh, he wasn't quite like a Dino. Uh, but still 300 men. And then I like Shamgard, Shamma. Shamma protected the bean field. I love beans. And uh, you're going to mess with his bean field, man. He's going to take you out. And he took out a whole garrison of uh, the Philistines. 
These three men were mighty men. They weren't just regular men. They were mighty men. They were, they were the greatest of the great. And all three of those men just heard David say something. And David, like he said, they could trust, David could trust all his men. And he sit there, and these three men heard it, got together. What I liked about these three men, there was teamwork. They all got together and said, hey, let's go do something for our king. It wasn't, let me do this, and I'll shine like a light bulb all by myself. No, the three great ones, not the three little bitty ones, the three great ones all got together. There is no reason for great people not getting together. There's no reason that, and they went and got a glass of water, and when David got that glass of water, that drink of water, he looked at it and he said, these are my three greatest. He said, they, although I, he just, just a thought passed through his head. And these three men, he goes, these are the, these are the three greatest that I have. And they risked their lives. There's no possible way, buddy. I mean, that's like Elijah dumping all that water on that altar up there. I mean, he's looking at that thing. He goes, this one's to God. This is the Lord's. This isn't mine. They went and got this thing because they were serving God. And they were doing it for the Lord, and they did it for their king. And I'm going to go on and pass it. David had it. He's talking about giving at the end, giving something back. That thing was put in David's hand, and he could easily went, glub, 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 and nobody said a word. But that thing passed through his hand to God. And he said, I'm going to give it to the Lord. And he dumps it out on the ground. You say, yeah, what he did is he took an offering and got it from three men that could easily have done anything they wanted to do by themselves. And they all three got together and done it. And they got the blessing. You know what? David had great men because David was a great man. All you have to do is do the right thing. You do what David did. And uh, I'm telling you what, people, people do whatever you need done. It's just an amazing thing when you start to look at that. We long for stuff. He's right. We long for stuff. But you're going to find, I'm finding out that longing sometimes, yeah, you want you get what you, uh, it's not always good to get what you want. I remember when I met Beth, I was sitting there saying, Lord, before I met her, I gave up. I was on a ship out there. I, I had my head, I said, I'm done, man. I said, if you give me what I want, I said, I, I know what I want. It's going to mess me up. And then he said, I'll give it to you. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it scared me. I mean, it actually scared me. I kept longing for something, longing, and I had to get to the place where I said, I don't want it no more. I'm done with it. Then he said, I'm going to give it to you. That scared me worse than when actually wanting it on my own because now the Lord has chosen something for me, and I didn't know what it was, and that was 32 years later, and, and me and Beth will be married in December the 28th this year, 30, 32 years, and all it was was I was giving something back to the king, and the king says, hey, this time I'm going to give it back to you. And it's, it's always good just along. It's good to long, but the thing to do is, is remember that whenever you're right where you're at, I longed for a wife, never could get a wife. I'd go back in the ship and just do what was right in front of me. And I kept doing what was right in front of me. And I kept doing what was right in front of me. I didn't care what was on the other ships. I didn't care what was on the other bases. I didn't care what was on the sites. I was on the USS Scott or I was on the USS Ponce, and that's what's in front of me right now, and that's what I'm going to do. And as I long for something else, it never was greener anywhere else. You know what I learned? Uh, no matter where you go, there you are. Uh, you go anywhere, and your problems are going to follow you right to those same problems. So the same problems you got here, you're going to have somewhere else. The thing to do is deal with them right where you're at. And if you get them done out right where you're at, and you get it settled right where you're at, what you're going to find out is all of a sudden the grass gets really green under your feet. And you get really, really happy. And I get tickled pink when I come to church on Sunday morning. I really do. I get, I get tickled pink on Sunday nights. I like coming to church. I just, I, tell, I told Beth the other day, I said, I hope they let me, when I resign, still come to this church. So many times they tell you the pastor needs to go somewhere else. She goes, why are you resigning? I said, well, there's going to come a day where I'm going to have to, but I hope they let me stay here. 
that I can just sit in the back pew somewhere. Yeah, I don't care, man. Maybe I can sit in the office, y'all can put a screen in there and let me watch it from in there. Just like, but I'm telling you what, I just like going to church. I like being around people. I like to watch people love God. There's nothing better than that. And when you see that thing, you know what it is? What you find out is right where you're at is better. People say, well, Mike, why don't you call people? Because I'm happy right where I'm at. I got everything I need right here. Why do I need to go anywhere else? I got enough to keep me busy here. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to get rid of stuff so I can spend more time right here. I don't need nothing else to do. I got plenty to do. When you're starting to look for stuff to do, you're really not looking for what's in front of you. And right in front of him were three great men. And David had to get his eyeballs back up and say, whoa, these are some good guys, man. Because <laughs> these, like, these, these are the best of the best of the best. These are like three Navy SEALs. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I got them. I got them right here. And he goes, and they risked their life for me at just a whim. He goes, I need to watch my whims. Father, thank you for your blessings tonight. Thank you for that message. Uh, Lord, uh, it, it's a very, very simple message. But, Lord, but the background between all those men and the teamwork that they, they did and uh, getting into that well and getting out of that well and bringing that back to David, Lord, speaks volumes about those three men. Lord, again, thank you for all you've done tonight. Bless the, the invitation. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.